Mary, new woman, new Eve, new mother. A talk by Father Anthony Mary at the Immaculata Mission School 2016, held at the Lay Scout Center in Hobart, Tasmania. A mystical order, that's to say, an order of love. And you will, at the end of the Bible, in the book of Apocalypse or Revelation, it finishes how. Now I'm going to read one phrase from the Apocalypse, from my Bible. You know, the Apocalypse is the last book of the Bible. But in my Bible, it's not. And I'll tell you why. It's someplace else. About 10 years ago, my Bible was falling apart. When I lived in France, I had read it and read it and read it, and the pages were falling apart. And then there's an old nun who she, she used to repair Bibles and books, bind them back together. So I met her one day. I said, Sister, can you repair my Bible? It's falling apart. And um, so I gave her my Bible, very happy, came back a week later. It was beautiful. The cover is different. It's a leather cover. The original one wasn't leather. So I was so happy. And then I began a few days later to read the Apocalypse. And I arrived at chapter 7 and there's nothing any, there's no more. <laughs> it finishes chapter 7, chapter 8, verse 3. So I said, what? My goodness. I was ready to collapse. What happened? My Bible, my Bible, what did you do to my Bible? My lovely Bible. So then I... I didn't cry. Okay, I'm a, I'm a big guy. Okay. But I was interiorly uh, a bit felt something was missing in my life. So then I forgot about it. You know. And some weeks later, I was reading the Gospel of St. Matthew. And I arrive at chapter 8 of St. Matthew, and lo and behold, what's next? It's chapter 8 of the Apocalypse. <laughs> so sometimes, you know, I'm giving a talk and I will say to the people, I'm going to read something from the book of the Apocalypse. And they'll see me re looking here and they say, Father, no, 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 it's the Apocalypse in the back of the Bible. I say, no, 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 it's not in my Bible. It's in the middle of the Gospel of St. Matthew. So, so I'll read from St. Matthew, but not St. Matthew, from the Apocalypse. It said, so remember that uh, it begins, the apostolic life of Jesus begins in this setting, a nuptial setting, a place of love. The greatest human experience of love I believe is the love between two people who fall in love, a man and a woman. The most extraordinary, the most beautiful human experience. 
And then the Word of God, the Bible, the Word of God finishes with this, well, almost at the very end. It's after in the Apocalypse where the church and the people have gone through all the tribulation, the trials and the suffering and the purification. And you see at the end, come, I will show you the brides, the spouse of the Lamb. It ends in uh, this, that's chapter 21. It ends, the Bible ends, the life, the apostolic life of Christ begins in this marriage and ends with marriage. It's not a human marriage, it ends, in, it ends with the, the mystical union, the bride with the lamb. And the Lamb is Christ who was crucified out of love for us, who has been victorious, who has shattered death for you and I in order that you and I can enter into uh, this mystical union with God. And the best way we can understand it is to speak about a marriage. Now, to... Before I look a bit more at the, the marriage in Cana, I want to go to the book of Genesis in the beginning because the book of Genesis, as St. Augustine said, is like the foundation of Scripture that is built upon. And he says that the writings of St. John is the spiral. He compares Scripture to a cathedral. The Book of Genesis is the foundation and the writing St. John, the summit of all revelation. So in order to understand revelation, you have to, to see what's ultimate in revelation. You have to really read the writings of St. John, who is the beloved disciple, who is the one at the Last Supper, who had his head rested upon the heart of the Master, receiving from Jesus the secrets of his divine love as he was about to go out to his passion. And John was silent because when you're receiving, you're silent. In the book of Genesis, the word for, in the first creation, the word for woman in Hebrew is Nagba. And that means the one who has a receptacle, the one who has the capacity to receive, the one who carries and can bear life. Notice that the serpent came to tempt the woman, not the man. There's a reason. And notice that the commandment, do not eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden, was given to who? Adam, given to the man. You see, man and woman, 
the first account of creation shows you that they are created equal. The second account of creation shows you man and woman are different. Equal but different. And they are complementary. Together they form a one. And they show you the image of God in a complete way. Each one, of course, shows you the image of God. But together, they reflect God in a, in a more extraordinary way. Together, different, equal, different, complementarity. So, Adam was given the command, do not eat of the fruit of the tree in the garden. And it was Adam's, Adam was like a priest. He had to transmit this word to Negbah, to the woman who had the capacity to receive life. Because the woman is not woman only for a physical fruitfulness. To bear a child physically, the man brings the seed to the woman and she carries within her new life. But the woman is not woman only physically, but her whole being is woman. Physically and spiritually, totally. So that she is the one who receives the word of God into her. And this word of God is to bear fruit. She is the one that, as we see with Mary, who carries all these things in our hearts and bears perfect fruits. So this is the, this is a complementary and we don't have time really to go into too deeply. But Adam was, and there, there is, you know, you have this debate why women cannot become priests. For me, it goes back all the way to the book of Genesis. Man and woman are created equal, but different in God's wisdom, in God's divine plan. And let no man break asunder what God has put together. How dare we go against God's beautiful plan of love? The woman has an extraordinary vocation, not just to carry within her, but within her whole being, the word of God. And that's the way that she is the helper to the man. She, he transmits the word to her as a priest, like a priest, Adam. And so then this fruit grows and grows. And uh, she becomes a helper to him, spiritually, first. Now, and then you see, Satan came in order to bring another word, to plant another seed rather than the word of God. He plants in the heart of Eve the anti-seed, the anti-gospel, a lie. Because she was meant to bring life, to be a life carrier in her whole being. And because she listened to Satan 
and receives the seed from him, she becomes the carrier of death. And this is transmitted instead of being a helper that will help the man to blossom in his contemplation, in his relationship with God, in his love for God, she now, she now transmits the contrary to him. She gives him of the fruit that she's eaten and, and death is, uh, has come into the world. And we know about the fall. Sister was speaking. Sister Marie Emmanuel was Mary Emmanuel, Mary Emmanuel was speaking about the uh, original sin. I cannot add anything to that. So you, you, you have heard about original sin and the disaster that happened and death into the world. Instead of life, there is decay and suffering. And God, who is love, uses the fall, the rebellion of man, in order to reveal who he is, to reveal his love in a greater way that only God can do. God is love. God is omnipotent. God is all-powerful. God is creator, yes. But God, it's not enough to say that about God. And we share that with the Muslims and the Jews. God is creator. But they don't go... They don't go all the way in revelation. God is infinite love and this is the whole mystery and the light that we have on the mystery of the nativity, the baby at Bethlehem, all of it is that God, he puts his infinite power at the service of his infinite love and so he becomes incarnate. That's what God always does. He responds by a greater love and he comes into this, this world. So, God has prepared for himself, for his eternal son, the eternal word. He has prepared a place for him in this world. He chose a virgin, the Virgin Mary, the Immaculate Conception, from all times he's chosen her. There is a new creation. Something is totally, absolutely new. In the womb of Mary, he comes down from heaven into something which is totally, absolutely pure and beautiful. By the same power of his love, he has created her soul, not allowing original sin to have any contact with her. The devil had no say over her whatsoever. From the beginning, any time in our life, it would be unthinkable that the eternal word who is infinitely holy could come into a soul who would, be, who would have uh, contact with Satan, who would have been damaged by Satan, unthinkable. So God created the Immaculate Conception, Our Lady, totally pure. And this begins, the, this fiat of Mary begins this new journey 
this new hope, the joy that the angels celebrated, cried out at, at the shepherds at Christmas time. There was joy and the angels were singing. It began already at the Annunciation when Mary, our mother, said, Fiat. And, and as Sister pointed out the other day as well, when Mary heard the word of God, she didn't reduce the word of God to what she could understand. Because we are so often, when God gives us a word, could be directly or through somebody else, a mission to do, we want to know all the details and how to do it. What it means, what am I going to do then? But remember the word of God is far greater than we are. It's the word of God. And Mary had a question. How will this be because I am a virgin? Mary had offered her life to God from a tiny child in perpetual virginity, belonging totally. She was the property of God. And this offering of her life was her response to the gift of her immaculate conception. Now her question to the angel was not a doubt. She never doubted. But there was a dilemma. She was to be, she's virgin, forever belonging to God. And now she is mother. She's going to be mother. So humanly speaking, this is not possible. Mary's question was in order to understand how what am I to do in order to cooperate? In order that I may not hinder God's work? That's the reason of our question. And then she received a response from the angel. Nothing, the Holy Spirit will take, basically the Holy Spirit will take care of this. For nothing is impossible to God. And when she heard these words, she said simply, fiat. Be done unto me according to thy word. Not according to what I understand, but to thy word. Now, okay, we come to the wedding feast of Cana. And there's a very strange dialogue between Jesus and Mary. And we haven't time to go into all the meaning because it's profound, deep. And the only ones that can penetrate the mystery herein are the children who are moved by the Holy Spirit. That's you. And on the third day, a marriage took place at Canaan, Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. John points out that straight away. The mother of Jesus was there. Now, Jesus, too, was invited to the marriage and also his disciples. And the wine having run short, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, what wouldest thou have me do, woman? That word, woman. My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the attendants, do whatever he tells you. 
Now six stone water jars were placed there after the Jewish manner of purification, each holding two or three measures. Jesus said to them, fill the jars with water. And they filled them to the brim. And Jesus said to them, draw out now and take the chief steward. And they took it to him. Etc. And then John says, at the end, I won't read it all. This is the first sign that Jesus worked and his disciples believed in him. There are a lot of words there that we kind of have to unpack. First, as I mentioned to you, we're in a situation, uh, a marriage feast. And Mary said to Jesus, they have no wine. For Mary, that has a deep meaning. No wine. Because you know in the Old Testament, in the Song of Songs, the Word of God is referred to as a wine for the heart. And the Word of God is a, a wine which brings joy. The Word of God is a joy, like wine. Why? Because the Word of God, I use a word, I don't think it's English, use the the word of God spirates love in our heart. It, it bears love, the word of God, within us. And love is what gives us joy. And Mary knew that her people, there were no prophets for so long. They hadn't received the word of God. They were under the yoke of the Roman Empire. They had no joy. And Mary wanted Jesus to give them what she had received for 30 long years. Jesus was 30 years with her. And Joseph, and we don't know when Joseph died, in order to form Mary for 30 years in the Word of God to give her the joy of Him. He is the Word of God Himself. And Mary wanted her people that she loved to have this joy of the Word of God. Now, when she asked Jesus, uh, said they have no more wine, she was beginning something that she didn't understand. And Jesus responded to this request by saying, Woman. My hour has not yet come. My hour. What is the hour of Jesus? The hour of Jesus. We see in chapter 17 of St. John, Father, my hour has come. He's about to go out to his passion. It's the hour, in fact, that he's looking forward to. He's suffering in order to Conquer death. And Jesus speaks of his hour. He calls her woman. It's not a normal title for a son to say to his mother. He'd say mother. He used the word he wouldn't usually use. He'd call him woman. 
Jesus is. There are three places in John's writing that Mary is referred to as woman. That's the first. Where's the second and the third? Help me out. At the cross. And we'll come to the cross in a moment. Huh? In chapter 12 of the book of Revelation. Three times, it's like a trinity. And it's the first time Jesus refers to her as woman. At Cana, when he speaks about his hour. Then Jesus changes, works this miracle. A miracle is a sign, always a sign. We can never stop at a miracle. It's a sign of something else. St. John always calls it signs. He doesn't call it a miracle. Jesus changes six water jars, and I calculated there are about 40 gallons of water into wine. And I make a joke that they ran out of wine because the apostles drank it. <laughs> Jesus was with his disciples, remember. So Jesus changes water into wine. It's a sign of what? It's the New Testament. It's the new... It's the, the wine of the New Testament is what? It's the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. It's a sign of this. His hour... And Mary is associated with this hour of Jesus as woman. She is what the fathers of the church would call the new Eve, the mother of the living. Mary, Jesus, revealing to her, she has now a role which is not only being his mother, but the woman, the new woman, the new Nekba. And then you go to the cross. Jesus is dying on the cross. He's given us everything. He's given us himself in the Eucharist. There was one last thing, the treasure of his heart. He wants us to have his mother to be our mother. And there Mary had to make her second fiat, her second yes to God. Remember that Mary is the mother of martyrs. When Jesus was dying on the cross, abandoned by, betrayed by his disciple, denied by another disciple, and all the others ran away, except John was there. And Jesus had been rejected spat upon, crowned with thorns, unrecognizable, covered in blood, covered in wounds. This is, was humanity's response to him, who was the one who is love, who has come into the world. This is our response as humanity. And at that very moment, Mary had only one desire, to look upon Jesus and to tell him with all her being of her love for him 
I am here. My son, I love you. I will die if you want. And at that very moment when Mary had only one desire, to fix her gaze upon her divine son, it's at that moment Jesus asked of her something heroic in saying to her, Behold your son, he is asking her now to take her gaze of love for him and look at this other one. This is your son. And not alone in looking at John, and it is somehow easier, there's an infinite distance between Jesus and John, but somehow it is easier, but in asking her this, he is asking her also to look upon his murderers as her children. Mary is mother of martyrs. It's not just a, a, an expression, but Jesus, in going to the end in his life, he asked her to give her life with him, totally her whole being, to die to herself, to die to her motherhood of him so that she in this total death of self in an absolute she joins him in the sacrificial offering where nothing remains except this, the ashes a burnt offering where nothing remains except the father's will in the cross on the cross the only thing that remains is the father's will and Jesus has drawn Mary into this same offering by asking her this death to herself. Imagine Mary is asked by Jesus to gaze upon these murderers, to gaze upon Barabbas, to gaze upon the one that scourged Jesus, tore his body apart, crowned him, on Pilate, on everybody. He asked her, he said to her, Behold your child. I've died for him. I've given, I've shed my blood for him. I love him. I love Pilate. I love Peter. I love Judas. I love you and you. I love all of you. Because his love is infinite and I want you to be associated in this offering that you can be you can be the new Eve you can be the new mother which carries within you all of humanity you will be the mother of all the redeemed of all that I have dined for and Mary in her silence in silence she said nothing but she gave a profound fiat. Therein is, you see, when the prophet Simeon said, and a sword will pierce through your heart. It's there at that moment that the sword pierces the heart of Mary. That she is to take this gaze of the one she would want to die in his, in his place gladly. A physical death is nothing to what Mary suffered at the cross. It's so painful to watch your child die, but to see your child 
being torn asunder, his body being crucified. And her love for him was far, far greater than any other mother's love because she the love of the Immaculate One. And we don't understand her love. And because she loved him as she did, she accepted to take us and to love us and to really love us with the gaze of Jesus. And if you want to receive Mary as mother, remember the disciples. It was the faithful disciple to Jesus. The one, the only one who was faithful to Jesus to the end. The one who at the Last Supper rested his head, receiving the secrets of his love, of all that is in his divine heart. This love of the heart of Jesus which is beating faster and faster as they come to the door to take him and to crucify him. And John was the one listening, silently listening to all the infinite love contained in the heart of Jesus. And because of this, John is able to be at the cross. It is the, if you want to receive from Jesus this ultimate gift, his mother in his love that he gave to us. He given us his heart by giving us his mother. You greatly wound the heart of Jesus by saying, no, I don't want her. It's the disciple who loves Jesus, who is faithful to the very end. He is the one that received Mary as his mother. And it's not just receiving her into his house because the verb in Greek is the same verb which is for receiving the word of God into you. He received her into his being as his true mother. You know, sometimes I speak to my Protestant brothers and sisters and they have great difficulty with Mary, sadly. And they don't know how much they wound the heart of our Savior. When somebody is dying, when somebody is dying, your loved one is dying, you're attentive to their last words. They're for you, you want them, and you will never forget them. And we are attentive to the words of Jesus. We spoke yesterday, the other day, about his thirst. And we are attentive to the words, Behold your mother. Behold your mother. I want you and I to have the same mother. If you receive her as mother, I came into this world in her womb, through her, and I grew within her. If you receive her as mother, you will be born, you will become another Christ. You will grow in her mother's, not in her womb, but in her heart, because she is mother not only physically, but in a whole being. That's why Jesus said to the disciples, and they said, Behold, your mother is outside looking for you. And they said, Who is my mother? 
and my father and my brothers and sisters is the one who does my will. Jesus was showing by this that Mary's mother first, because she carried him in her heart, she conceived him in her heart, as St. Augustine said before, she conceived him in her womb. Before I go on to the apocalypse, briefly, the third place where St. John, who has a divine light, the Holy Spirit uses him to give us what is ultimate in revelation. And he speaks about the woman. Speaking about yesterday about witness. But I can witness myself that I, I've always belonged to her. And I think before while I stood in the womb, I belonged to her. My priesthood belongs to her. My life belongs to her. I don't want it without her. My first Mass as a priest, I offered to consecrate my priesthood to her. And there are seminarians here, and I beg you, if you want to be priests, according to the heart of Jesus, you belong to her totally. And then you can bring joy to the heart of Jesus. If you want to be priests after the heart of Jesus, you belong to her. Be hers. Do not disdain the words of our Saviour dying for us. See the deep meaning of them. Of course, you know, from the point of view of justice, he's Saviour. There's only one Saviour. But our redemption is not a, an act of justice first. It's not only an act of justice. It's an act of God's superabundant love flowing out in torrents upon this world. So Mary is necessary from the point of view of this superabundant love of God. We cannot separate her. When we see our redemption as an act of love, I know I'm saved. But remember our redemption is an act where Jesus wants to draw us into a mystical union with God. It's so profound we don't understand. We are asked to go in faith. And Jesus said in the Gospel of St. John about the Eucharist, the only thing I ask you is this, that you believe me. He never said to, he never said to us, I ask you to understand because we cannot understand. The word of God is too big for us. I ask alone that you believe me. There's nothing more Jesus could have done to show his love for us. Nothing more. So I take his word seriously. I take her into my heart as I do the word of God. And it cannot be any other way. Because I am his priest. I am his child. In baptism. So I say to you, seminarians, you're going to be priests. But be good priests 
belong to her. Because otherwise, the Satan, the devil, will sow in our hearts the anti-seed like he did in Eve. This is the way to prevent him, to block him off by belong to the Immaculate One. It's Jesus' command, by the way. It's a commandment. A commandment, not a legalistic thing, but a commandment of his love. And I say to you, ladies, who will be married and have children, and I say it when I meet young women who are pregnant, and I bless their little baby, and I ask them and I say to them, did you consecrate your baby to our blessed lady? Oh, that's not bad ideas. <laughs> I said, excellent idea. So I say, I beg you to, when you get married and you have a baby, please, 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 the first moment, go and consecrate this baby to her. We live in a world that needs her motherly mantle around us. The devil is strong. Obviously, he is nothing compared to God who is infinitely, who is omnipotent, all-powerful. But we have allowed him to be strong through Abortion, that feeds the power of Satan. Through artificial contraceptives, which breaks love. Through pornography. Through the media. Satan is entering, sowing the anti-gospel into the hearts of people. There was a nun in the 19th century, and I don't remember her name, a holy nun. And she was shown by Jesus a vision of in people's houses everywhere a box which was destroying people's lives. And she couldn't understand how a box, a black box in a house could destroy people's lives. Television, internet, I'm not saying everything is bad, but to tell the truth, they are destroying, 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 destroying. Our life, our relationship with God, our relationship with each other, destroying the family, where people can no longer see the difference between light and darkness, truth and falsehood, good and evil. And they propose what is Evil to be good and good to be evil. That's the world that we live in. If you don't have Mary as your mother, consecrate your, yourself to her, you are running a risk that you can be swallowed up in this toxic venom that is spewed out upon us to all the families in the world. I'm going to read something for you written by a Catholic journalist, a young lady, an Irish one, who, living in London now, I think, 
I'm going to read something for you. What she wrote, an article I noticed, what she wrote. Listen to this. 400 years ago, Our Lady of Good Success warned that children of our time would have an exceptionally soul-renting time, I think. Appearing to Mother Mariana, Our Lady entrusted her with prophecies concerning our generation. Mother Mariana was a Spanish nun who was an abbess in Quito. Being very precise, Our Lady said that some time after the second half of the 20th century, Satan would rule almost completely over society and that his minions will focus principally on the children to sustain the general corruption. Sadly, for the children of these times, Our Lady asked Mother Mariana to offer sacrifice and prayer for the children being born during this time in history. Our Lady of Good Success explained why vocations would be scarce. During these unfortunate times, evil will assault childhood innocence. In this way, vocations to the priesthood will be lost, which will be the true calamity. Our Lady said that secular education would be one reason for the death of priestly and religious vocations. Our Lady said to Mother Mariana, the devil will glory in dining upon the exquisite delicacy of the hearts of children. I could read on. And that's the very thing that's happening in our day. That's exactly what's happening if we arrive to see. That's why I love to bring children in Eucharistic adoration to consecrate them to Mary. As I told you before, last year, I brought children in groups in American Ireland in the month of February, 7,000 children before Jesus. And it was such a joy for me. I had these little ones to myself. Before Jesus, I could give them everything. Feed them with the truth of his divine presence in the Blessed Sacrament. Now, I say these words because we want to be awake. And the Holy Spirit, we know, is the Spirit that fills us with joy. But if you love, you will also suffer. Because when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, as all you are, we suffer because there are many people being torn away from the love of God. The little ones, from very early on, Satan is dining upon their, the beauty and the innocence of the, the hearts of children. And this we cannot tolerate. 
And already 400 years ago, Mother Mariana became a victim soul offering herself for the children of these times. And I want you to experience this love of her. And there is no division between the love of Mary and Jesus. This is Satan. When you see sometimes saying, if you love her, you're not loving Jesus enough. This is, when there is love, there is unity. Where what comes from God is united. It's Satan that separates And the more you belong to her, the more you belong to Jesus, the more you belong to her. Because you can love Jesus, as we say, with the heart of Mary. Why settle for something less? Don't settle for half measures. Now, I don't have time to go into the book of Apocalypse except maybe very briefly. Chapter 12. And a great sign appeared in heaven. That's the heavens. A woman clothed with the sun and the moon was under her feet and upon her head a crown of twelve stars. And being with child she cried out and travail and was in the anguish of delivery. And another sign was seen in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman. Remember this is St. John writing, the Holy Spirit writing through John. Woman, woman, Clothed with the sun. And that's, many commentators say, the clothed, the sun, clothed, the immaculate conception. She's totally clothed with Christ. There's nothing else in her. And the moon was under her feet. She's, at the same time, she's one of us, she's our sister. And upon her, had a crown of 12 stars. She is queen. She's woman. She's our mother. She's our sister. And she's our queen. And being with child, she cried out in her travail and was in the anguish of delivery. Now, some commentators said that that couldn't be Mary. Because it shows her giving birth in pain. And we know that Jesus, the birth of Jesus for Mary was a total joy. There was no pain. It was a miraculous birth. So some people say, it can it be her if she's suffering in childbirth? But remember that Mary is not only give birth to Jesus, but she gave birth to us at the cross, to all our children. 
in terrible suffering. In her terrible martyrdom, when the soul was driven through her heart mystically. So, this woman is the church, but ultimately it's Mary, because Mary is the church in its perfection. And there was another sign. And behold, another sign appeared in heaven. A great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns. That's, that's again, you see, remember the serpent in the book of uh, Genesis? You have him here again. Now he's facing this, this other woman, which is Mary and the church. He's seven heads and ten horns. I shouldn't go into all these what I think is the meaning of all these things, because we're run out of time, so we have already over time. Seven heads, uh, the intelligence of Satan, and the ten horns, horns are a symbol of power. So in Satan, his, in, his intelligence is at the service of power and domination. You'll see in Jesus, everything is perfect. Seven, seven, seven. Perfect harmony because his power is the service of love. Now, I'll kind of skip because I want to come to a conclusion kind of quick because I know we're going on a long time. And his tail was dragging along a third part of the stars from heaven and it dashed them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to bring forth, that when she had brought forth, he might devour her son. And the woman fled into the desert, where she has a place prepared by God. And then it says a little later that she flew into the desert on the two wings of the eagle. The two wings of the eagle is the the eagle is the bird which flies highest, the only bird which can look directly at the sun. Mary flies into the desert on the two wings of the eagle, the wings of adoration and contemplation. Eve began to dialogue with Satan. She lost. Mary's response. She, into the desert, is the heart of the Father. She flies into the heart of the Father on the two wings of adoration and contemplation. And the devil cannot do anything to her. He has no hold. So, and the drag dragon, I'm skipping a lot. And the dragon was angry with the woman and went away to wage war with the rest of her offspring who keep the commandments of God and hold fast to the testimony of Jesus. It's very clear that Satan comes to wage war on her children. The children of the new Eve, of the new woman, Satan is waging war upon us. We know it. If, unless we're fast asleep. So we again have to consecrate ourselves to her 
belong to her totally so that in her we can fly into the desert, into the heart of God, on the true wings of adoration and contemplation. Now, one last thing. In Fatima, Our Lady told the children of Fatima in 1917, it was just coming to the end of the First World War, and she told them, this war will soon come to an end. But there will be another war, a much worse one, if mankind does not change and come back to God. Mankind did not change and come back to God. The Second World War happened. Now, I asked myself the question, if the people of 1917 deserve to hear that, what about the people today? I think we are on the verge of a purification in the church and in the world. I fully believe it. I've said it for so long, 1917, 2017, 100 years. I think we have to be prepared, my friends, to be ready to be martyred. The church is going to suffer greatly. The church is going to be purified. Remember, the Holy Spirit is the soul of the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church is the soul of the world. The Catholic Church cannot survive without the Holy Spirit. And the world cannot survive without the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church that it persecutes. So there's a need for purification in the church so that it will live of its first love. As John says in his letter to the Ephesians, be ready, be ready, my friends. Sanctify yourselves. We are coming to an hour which is so important in history. We have to be ready to fight the battle not with the weapons of guns and bombs, but with the weapon that she gives us and that she's begging our children, please, please, please pray my rosary. Are her pleads going to fall upon our deaf ears? No, we cannot. Because our brothers and sisters need us. They need our prayer. They need our offering of ourselves. They need our sanctity. The trials, the tribulations that God permits in our lives are the very things that God uses to give light to other people. We are at an hour in time. And she said at Fatima, in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. And we don't know which of us will be there. It shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. But to remain in the heart of Mary, if you do, you will give joy to Jesus and you will be always with them.
and therein will lie our sanctity. We pray for each other when we know there is a battle. But we have to battle with the weapons of L-O-V. That's it. We finish. That was Father Anthony Mary with Mary, New Woman, New Eve, New Mother. For more from the Immaculata Mission School, visit cradio.org.au.